From Genesis 37, but when his brothers saw that their father loved Joseph more than all his brothers, they hated him. In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit. Amen. Good morning, friends. That might sound like an interesting opening line for a sermon, but uh, there's a reason for it, and it's simple. It's been said that everybody loves a story. I love stories. You love stories. When I was a boy, I really loved Winnie the Pooh. I loved Winnie the Pooh, not just Winnie the Pooh, but the, all the cast of characters. It's a children's story about talking animals, but the hook, right, of course, and a good story, is that we all know people that are like those characters. For example, Winnie the Pooh, right, is the innocent, enduring, not very smart, cuddly, uh, lovable character. There's Tigger, the bouncing tiger who never stops moving, and everybody seems to love, but they can only take him in small doses. There's Piglet, the shy, the fearful, the little piggy who is scared of everything. And then there's Eeyore, the pessimistic, fearful, negative, sad, probably clinically depressed, but lovable donkey. And the cool thing about Eeyore, it wasn't my favorite character, but the cool thing about Eeyore I always, that struck me is that while all of his friends knew that he wasn't quite right, all of his friends knew that he wasn't always in the best mood, that he was probably struggling with something. They loved him anyway. And there's beauty in that. And I think good advice for any of us who are dealing with someone who struggles with depression or mental illness. We love them anyway. But the point is that we all know people like those characters, which is why people love stories. People love stories. And the reason is not just because we love stories, but in stories, we see ourselves, and we see those around us. The reality makes more sense when we see it illustrated in the lives of characters. And for that reason, for the next eight, ten weeks, we're going to be looking at a series of sermons on the story of God's people through Genesis, Exodus, Joshua, we're going to look at these stories, these characters that are not stuffed animals, but real people. And we're going to see their triumphs, and we're going to see their failures. And most importantly, what we're going to see is God working in, on, and through them. Most importantly, we'll see, I hope, and I pray, ourselves. It's interesting, before I launch into the text today, just one thing I want to say briefly. Um, you know, it's interesting, if you look at religious texts outside of the Bible, it's very interesting. There's the good guys, and there's the bad guys. There are heroes, and there are villains. But Scripture isn't quite like that, is it? It's much more nuanced. <laughs> Sometimes the good guys aren't so good, like Peter or David or lots of examples. Sometimes the, sometimes the bad guys aren't always so bad. It's kind of like real life, isn't it? It's kind of like you. It's kind of like me. It's kind of like truth. But despite all the stories of human dysfunction that we're going to look at, we're going to keep the fun and dysfunction in this series. <laughs> we're going to see something which is important and the key to the whole thing. We're going to see a God who never gives up on them. A God who never gives up on us. So the first thing I'm going to look at today is a story of Jacob and Joseph and the brothers. It's kind of a two-part sermon. So we're going to set up the problem this week, and then next week, 
I'm Genesis 50, I'm going to preach on the solution. So if you walk away from this thinking, man, that's awfully depressing, stay with me. Next week is the good news. But what can we, le- what can we learn from the story we read today in Genesis 37? Three things I want to look at about this idea of dysfunction. The favoritism of Jacob, the dysfunction of Jacob's children, and then the unseen plan of God. So the favoritism of Jacob the dysfunction of his kids, his boys, and the unseen plan of God. So first thing, the favoritism of Jacob. We have, uh, and we've been walking through our sermon series all summer before I was even here. I was on sabbatical for the past two months. Um, One thing you begin to see, if you read Scripture closely, read it as a story, as characters, that sin and brokenness repeats itself over and over and over and over again. I mean, for example... Here's the point of today, essentially. Take Jacob, the father of these 12 sons. Jacob, also known as Israel, right? God changes his name to, from Jacob to Israel, meaning the one, Israel means he who wrestles with me. I've always loved that, that God names his people those who wrestle with him. That's a father for another day. But the point is, Jacob had a besetting sin. Jacob had lots of besetting sins, but one in particular jumps out at us today, and it's this, that Jacob played favorites. He, he played favorites. He's got several wives, because, you know, who doesn't need multiple wives, right? He's got several wives, but he has two in particular, Rachel and Lee, and he favors Rachel because she's beautiful, and Lee not so much. And not only does he favor Rachel over Lee, they both know it, which causes a little difficulty for, for evening meals. And then there's the boys, these sons that he's got. Jacob favors Joseph over the rest of them, and they all know it. Joseph knows it. The other boys know it. And so Joseph, dad, being the smart, intelligent father that he is, buys Joseph, this favored one, a wonderful, long-sleeved, colorful tunic, the famous Technicolor dream coat. I can't stand that. But anyway, he, he gives Joseph that gift, but he doesn't give it to anyone else. I mean, how that works. You ever open Christmas presents with your kids? You ever open Christmas presents with children, with your, with your children? As they're, they're tearing through and there's paper flying and, and they're all excited about their gift, they're also doing a little bit of stink eye out of the corner, right? Like, what did they get? What did they get? What did they get? Remember my brother once when we were younger, hey, how come Chris got the, kung, the G.I. Joe with the Kung Fu grip and I didn't, right? The point is... We are, we, even when we receive things that are good, things that we enjoy, we're always looking out, right? Did I get the same as them? We're always evaluating our own joy in the context of others. Jacob spoiled Joseph more than the, than, than the others. And of course, as you think to yourself, well, why would anybody do that? Why would any man in his, in his right mind do that? Well, why does anyone do things that are dysfunctional? Well, Let's look at his dad, Isaac, Jacob's father, Isaac. He played the same game. He favored Esau over Jacob. In other words, Jacob learned this dysfunctional behavior from his father, who in turn learned it from his father, who learned it from his father. The point is, dysfunction in all of its forms is learned. It's generational. Maybe Jacob favored Joseph the youngest because he was the younger one than Esau. Could be. 
The point that I want you to see here is that sin, I don't mean just sin in the general brokenness sense. There's that, right? Original sin we all inherit. We all live in a fallen world. Yeah, that's true. But when it comes to specifics, man, oftentimes it's really, really hereditary. Dysfunction runs in families, all of them, yours and mine. I always, I'm always, I always laugh when people want to put on this front end that everything's great. We all know it's not true. Everyone's got something going on in your life right now. Look at your own heart, right? And take a minute and just look at your own heart. The sins that you commit habitually, the temptations you face habitually, I've got news for you. They're either exactly like your parents or the exact opposite. Brokenness is hereditary, friends. Sin is passed down generationally, not just in the abstract, but in its forms. And it's not just the dad, Joseph, who's at fault here, though he is for playing favorites. But look at the boys, the dysfunction of the sons, point number two. Well, let's call a spade a spade. Joseph was, the Hebrew word is uh, punk. <laughs> he was a punk. Joseph was the 17-year-old. He's the kid on the playground that when you're out there and there's kind of no one's really looking, he's the kid on the playground that every, every young boy on the playground wants to bump into him and just give him a little gut punch, you know? He's the kind of kid that would, he's the best kid on the little, little league team, and he tells everybody about what a wonderful athlete he is, and everybody resents him for it. That's Joseph, a 17-year-old teenager who's a punk, you know, if you look at story, if you look closely, there's a couple things that happen here to prove my point. In verse 2, the, uh, the boys are all out uh, tending the sheep, right? Joseph's out there at first, but then he goes home, and Jacob, his dad, says, Hey, hey, take that Technicolor dream coat that I just gave you and go out and check on the boys and tell me what they're doing. In other words, go check on them and bring me back a report. Verse 2, Joseph brought a bad report of his brothers to his father. So he's a tattletale. He's a rat. And then he tells his father and his brothers that they would bow down before him. He tells his brothers, you are, he gives them a dream. Hey, guys, I had this dream. Want to hear it? They're probably like, no. Yeah, I'm going to tell you anyway, right? And there's these sheaves that bow down. And they're like, they're like are you telling us that we're going to bow down to you? He's like, well, just saying. That's what the dream says. And then he tells his father that the sun and the stars are going to bow down and that his father Jacob will bow down to him. And his father's like, are you, are you okay? You know, what's the matter with you? Look, even if these dreams are from God, which they were, whether Joseph knows that or not is another point, but even if they're from God, even if they're from God, okay, fine, but dude, use some common sense. Keep it to yourself. So Joseph is a rat, he's a tattletale, he's his father's favorite, and he, he tells everybody they're going to bow down to him. In other words, he's young, he's naive, he's cocky, and he's low on experience. And that's a very, very dangerous combination. That's, Dave, that's Joseph, the dreamer with fancy clothes. And then we see his brothers, right? They're jealous, they're contemptuous of him, they don't like him, they want to kill him. Well, let's stop there for a second. Does that sound kind of familiar? Oh, wait a minute. Yeah, that's right. Jacob, their father, had a brother named Esau, and they were always fighting with each other, and Esau wanted to kill Jacob. Wait a minute. I'm seeing a pattern developing here. 
Who tricked Esau into, Jacob had tricked Esau into selling his birthright and stealing his father's blessing, and Esau hated him so much, he was filled with jealousy and envy, and he vowed to kill his brother. Yes, Jacob, the dad in our story. Is it just me, or does it seem like sin and brokenness and dysfunction, it's hereditary? Let me put it to you like this. Fellas, this might sting. Here it goes. Has your wife ever said to you, you know, you're just like your dad? <laughs> Anyone? My wife's out sick today, so I'm going, she's not on the, off the hook today. Has your wife ever said, you know, you're just, like, you're just like your father? Ladies, has your husband ever said to you, you know, you're just like your mother? You know, no one ever says it like this. You know, you're just like your dad, so kind and patient. You're just like your mother, so, so joyful and full of energy. No. We say you're just like your father. You're just like your mother. When we point out something which really stings because it's true, hereditary dysfunctions. Sims that the parents committed that we, like it or not, fall upon us, and we, like it or not, fall into the very same trap. I'm going to make this point to you that sin is hereditary. And I'm willing to bet, if you're honest with yourself, and you should be because that's what you're here to do, that you, you struggle, maybe not all, but you struggle with many of the very same sins that your mom or your dad did. I do. Not all of them, but some. There's a text which always bothered me, but it's hugely illuminating in this context. Numbers 14, 18 says this. The Lord, and that's Lord is Yahweh. It's God's first name. You know, The Lord is slow to anger and abounding in steadfast love. Yeah, we love that. Forgiving iniquity and transgressions, but he will by no means clear the guilty. Listen to this. Visiting the iniquity of the fathers on his children to the third and fourth generations. In other words, my point here, and again, I'm just trying to be diagnostic. You can't fix the problem until you know what it is. Our sins are in some sense generational and hereditary, and we all know this. Whether it's nature or nurture, genetics or learned, it's an interaction, but the bottom line is it's just sin and brokenness manifested in ways that we learn as families. We all know it. We all see it in the, in the lives of the great heroes of Scripture, right? We see it in, we'll see it in David. We won't see it in David. In this series, we'll see it in, in, in Exodus. We'll see it all throughout. Moses. We see this brokenness for all the heroes in Scripture, but we'll also see this around the dinner table, and we'll definitely see it on Thanksgiving Day. <laughs> See, this is the thing. And again, I'm not seeing this to beat you up. I'm saying it because it's real, and it's true, and it's honest. Sin, in some sense, is generational. And you can't fix the problem until you know what it is. And that's the hook, my third point. All is not lost, friends. All is not lost. For Joseph, or Jacob, or the sons, or me, or you. And this is my, my third point, the unseen plan of God. So Joseph, again, stay with the irony here. Joseph is sold as a slave to the Ishmaelites. Hmm, that rings a bell. Ishmaelites, what are they? Well, Ishmael was the son of Hagar and Abraham. That's three generations back. There's some more dysfunction. Hey, Ishmael is the son of Hagar and Abraham. She is the slave woman, right? Come to think of it, 
Israel, the great-grandfather of all these guys, and, and Isaac, they hate each other too. Wait a minute. I'm beginning to see a pattern develop here. Jealousy and revenge. And the irony is that Joseph, who is the golden boy, right, who is riding high and the favorite and has all the fancy clothes and the gold watch, gets to drive the Maserati whenever he's got a, a chance, he is now sold to the Egyptians by the descendants of his uncle, the son of the slave woman. What a reversal. What an irony. The golden boy is now sold to, this, to be a servant, a slave to pagans. And I wanted to stop there with this thought. I want to sit in that for a minute. I cannot help but imagine what, how Joseph must have felt. I mean, think about it. You're the golden boy. You're dad's favorite. Everyone loves you, right? You're 17 years old. You, don't, you got a, don't have a care in the world. He's sold as a slave. He's abandoned by his, but they try to kill him first. They want to kill him. They don't. To make some money, they sell him. And I can't help but wonder how he felt. Betrayed, sold, left for dead, and asking him this question, where's God in all this? Where is God in all this? I mean, it's a long way to Egypt from Israel. That's a long ride, and he's going to take a long time before the plan actually bears fruit, before Joseph sees the, what's going on for the reality of what it is. But he asks himself the question, which we've all done, where is God? I was watching a uh, video last week on YouTube. Um, I was working out, watching, I like military history, if you don't already know that. And I was watching a video by a guy named Fernando Arroyo. It's a great video, it's like an hour and 10 minutes long. It's, a, on, it's called Fallen you know, Heroes or whatever. It's a military channel. Anyway, this guy Haro, uh, Arroyo was an army ranger who grew up poor in Los Angeles, but he stayed out of gangs, he stayed out of trouble for two reasons. First, he had a father who lived at home, and his father said, you're going to be home at 9 o'clock. But, Dad, you're home at 9 o'clock. So he was always home. And secondly, he went to church. He was a Christian. Anyway, long story short, he gets, he gets, he gets uh, recruited as an army ranger. <laughs> Since the first time he jumped out of a plane was the first time he was actually in a plane because he was poor growing up. But he wrote a book about it, about his war experiences in Iraq and Afghanistan called, I'll read it to you, The Shadow of Death from my battles in Fallujah to the battle for my soul. And he describes this brotherhood of army rangers, the friends he lost, the people he killed. He's a sniper, a part of a sniper team, so he killed a lot of people. And at the time, he even says, yeah, it didn't bother me. It didn't bother me one bit. After three tours, he leaves Fallujah, which you know is a very, very dangerous and very traumatic situation. He was there for, I think, 13 or 14 months. And after three tours, he comes home, he goes back to school, and then it hits him. And he gets this massive bout with post-traumatic stress disorder, we know as PTSD. And so, again, long story short, he goes, which is super typical if you know anybody who wrestles with this, he goes to alcohol and drugs, he wrestles with his struggles, he can't really quite make any sense of it. Man, you need some help. I got this, I got this, I'm a ranger, man, I can handle it until he finds himself intoxicated, drunk one night, sitting on the end of his bed with a pistol in his mouth. And he has it, he's ready to pull the trigger. And he says, God, if you are here, give me a sign. And he says, I literally had my thumb on it and I pushed back. And you know, there's a point when the trigger fires, you know. He's pushing back and he hears, bam! <laughs> and uh, he reaches his hand back and his head, his head's fine. And he's like, what in the world just happened? He thought the gun went off, right? 
And he looks over, and there he had a Bible that had been sitting on his desk that fell and landed. And that was the bang. It almost took his life. He almost took his life. But yet God showed him at the very last minute, hang on, hang on, be patient. Verse 19 at the song the choir read today is about Joseph. And it says this, verse 19. It was a great song, by the way, you sang. Until the time came that his cause was known, the word of the Lord tried Joseph. Ever felt that way? I wonder how Joseph felt abandoned by God. You ever been there? Whether it's the sin of your own doing or the sin of those around you or some mixture of the two, it doesn't really matter. It brings you to the pit of despair. You ever been there? And the answer is yes, you have been. Jesus has been. He says from the cross, my God, my God, why have you abandoned me? Psalm 22. But see, that's the nature of evil. That's the nature of evil. Sin is a parasite. It destroys the host. It separates us from our families. It separates us from God. It leads us to despair. And left unchecked, it destroys us. But God. See, God had a plan. Joseph doesn't know it yet. His father doesn't know it yet. His brothers don't know it yet. No one knows it yet, but God does. Joseph had some growing up to do, didn't he? I mean, a teenage punk with a technicolor dream coat. Well, at least he, for a, it's going to take him a while to learn some lessons. Joseph's going to have to learn what it's like to be at the bottom of the heap. Joseph's going to have to learn a little bit of humility. He's going to need it, as we'll see next week. And the point I want you to see before I wrap up is this. God can and God will use suffering for your own good. It is impossible to see that when you're in it, but it's true. Romans 8.28, you know this verse. Paul says this. And we know that for those who love God, all things work together for good. That's that's an amazing statement. All things work together for good for those who love God and are called according to his purpose. See, Joseph doesn't know it yet. No one does. But God has a plan for his life, and Joseph is a huge part of it. So here's my question for you as we sort of sit in this for the week. Where are you struggling right now? Kids or grandkids going back to to school. We've got our preschool starting tomorrow, which will be amazing and noisy. Maybe someone in your life is really struggling with a health issue, right? Maybe someone in your life is struggling with PTSD or some sort of mental health issue. Whatever it is, fill in the blank. I want to say one thing. Take heart. Be patient. It's not pleasant. Suffering never is. But God will use it for your own good and for the good of those around you. We'll see this next week. Joseph will find out shortly that the betrayal of his brothers, the, jealous, the jealousy of, and they're wanting to kill him, the, uh, the, the favoritism of his father, the generational brokenness that has, has, that has affected his family, all of that God can use, not because of our brokenness, but despite it. God has a plan. And the fact is the whole family will find out soon enough what that plan is. So friends, let's remember today, this, this, before we get to you know, the sequel next week, let's think about this. The brokenness of our own families, the generational dysfunction that we all struggle with, and sometimes left, left feeling, God, where are you in all of this? Because next week we see the plan unfold. Unwitting characters come to realize the bigger plan that God has for them, that God can and God will use suffering for our own good and to be a blessing not only in our own lives and to grow us up and change us, 
but to be a blessing in the lives of those around us. And we'll talk about that next week. In the meantime, shall we pray? Father, we thank you for Joseph, your servant, who reminds us that you are in control despite our own brokenness, despite our own dysfunction, despite our own sin. Remind us that all things, Lord, work to good for those who trust you. Keep our heads up and our eyes focused, knowing that you are in charge even when it seems like you're not. Help us to see the big picture. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Thank you for tuning in to our Trinity Episcopal Church podcast. To find out more about the work God is doing through Trinity, visit us online at trinitybureau.org and follow us on Facebook.